What's up, MCC? You guys doing good today? Thank you for all you guys who are joining us online. It's such an honor that you would take some time of all the things you can do online, that you are here this morning, not watching cat videos, not watching dog videos, not watching any of that, but you are watching this bald guy right here who's getting ready to bring a word from the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, if you're new with us today, let me just say thank you for checking us out for the very first time. We'd love to have a chance to get to know you, get to connect with you. Uh, you can fill out that little online connect card. It's right there in the comments. We'd love to be able to uh, know what's going on in your life and how we can be praying for you and help better connect you, uh, whether that's online or actually coming in on in person. Hey, I want to give you guys an update on what's going on this weekend. This weekend, we have our trunk or treat. That's going to happen this Saturday, Halloween Day. Uh, so we're putting on a huge event for our city. There's going to be, I'm believing, over a thousand people in their cars who come to our trunk or treat drive through Now, we still have a couple of things that we can use your help on. One, if you're like, hey, I want to use my trunk to be a part of that, reach out to Rachel Miss. She's our children's ministry director. Go see her before you go or, or reach out to her, just rachel.miss at mccreach.org. You can get in touch with her and be able to serve for that, or you can text that number that was just up there uh, if you're super tech savvy. uh, That's how you can do that. And again, if you cannot bring a trunk, you owe us three bags of candy. That's in Leviticus 11.42. Thou shalt owe bags of candy. Um, It's in there. Trust me, I'm just kidding. It's not in there, but you do anyway. Uh, So that's going to be awesome. Uh, Other thing you can do to help continue to get the word out is just share that event on Facebook, uh, comment, tell people you're going, invite people, and we're going to have an awesome time at that. All right? Let's pray. We're going to dive into God's word today. Hey, as we pray, I want to do something that we've done from time to time, but I want to, I believe prayer shifts things. Again, last week we talked about that that prayer is where we get our power as believers. And so today, as we get ready to pray, I'm going to invite you to do something that's going to put uh, some physical attached to the spiritual. I'm going to invite you to just where you sit, right there. Uh, Just take your hands. It's old common practice. Quakers were one of the first people to do this. But as you sit right there, just take your hands, and then you may place them on your knees, somewhere like that, but just be palms down. Hands open, palms down. If If you're holding a kid, don't drop them. Um... And keep holding them but as much as you can. And maybe if, it may only be able to be one hand. I want you to start in this posture. A posture of our body oftentimes reflects a posture of our heart. If you're at home, wherever you're at, open your hands up. Face them down. Close your eyes and let's go to our Heavenly Father. Father, many of us have believed Lies. Lies about ourselves. Many of us have been told lies over and over again by family members, by husbands, by wives, by bosses, by children. And God, most probably have been told lies by themselves. You made it very clear in your word, Jesus, that that Satan is the father of lies, that he's the originator of lies, and, and these lies have found their way into our lives. Jesus, as we position and posture ourselves before you in this moment of prayer, I pray 
that you would allow the lies that have been spoken, these lies that some of us have allowed to build up in our lives, that they've become our track on repeat in our head, God. They have become the background noise of our life. They've become the first thing we think about in the morning and the last thing we think about at night. But Jesus, I pray that right now, in this moment, by the power of your blood, living and active in and through us, by the power that is in your name, Jesus, these lies will begin to flow out of your people. That they would feel the weight and the burden and the pressure. God, being released as you remind them, God, that these lies about who they are are from an enemy. And they are not from you. Father, we let these lies go. Father, I know sometimes we, we like to hold on to the lie. They become a convenient excuse. They become a crutch. They become think, things we can use to get attention sometimes. But God, we release the ones. Even the ones that we have cozied up to. We release these lies to you. And Father, we turn our hands over and our hearts over, God, symbolically asking you, God, in these moments that will transpire from here, God, that you, God, would see us as your people, God, now with hands open towards heaven as a moment where we can get the truth of who we are and who you are. And that that, God, would be the very thing that allows those lies to run, to go away. That they would be the thing, God, that you don't just take things away and leave gaps. You take old lies, you take old stories, you take old narratives, you take those away and you replace them with the truth. God, the true story of who we are. Father, I pray that by the preaching of your gospel today, the truth would set your sons and daughters free. It's by the power that is only bound in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to begin to actually go piece by piece through this armor of God. We're in a series called At War, and we're diving into spiritual warfare. If you've missed the last two series in this, I would say go back for the last two weeks and catch up because week one, we really dove into who this enemy that we're facing is. And, and again, I think that's critical for any believer to understand who the battle is against. And last week, we dove into prayer. And prayer, as we get ready to go through piece by piece through this armor of God, you've got to understand that prayer is how we put this armor on. You cannot just know things about helmets of salvation or or belts of truth or breastplates of righteousness. Prayer is what fastens them to the believer so that they can stand. And my hope is if you miss those, you'd go back. Because what we're getting ready to go in today is getting ready to get practical, getting ready to go brass tacks, to dive in to being the type of people who can withstand a real-life enemy that we're facing. And again... Our enemy is not flesh and blood. That's the, the big thing in this series. We're, we're not fighting against people. We're not fighting about Democrats or Republicans, white, black, cop, Antifa. No, none of that. No, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. Week one, we made it very clear. We all said it together, so it's for real. People are not the problem. Let's all remind ourselves once again, again, it's election season. We can do good to say this every single week we gather together. People are not the problem. Okay, good, 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 good. You're, you're tracking. So today, what we're going to be diving into is the first piece of the armor. The belt of truth. If you got a Bible, go to Ephesians chapter 6. That's where we're going to start out. It's going to be kind of our launching point for this series. That's going to be kind of the flow we enter into. We're going to start, we'll go to that piece, and then we're going to use the rest of God's word to explain 
what that peace is and how it equips us to be able to withstand and stand against the enemy's schemes and our own flesh. All right? Ephesians chapter 6, starting verse 10. We're going to go 10 through 14. It's going to be on the screen. I'm going to invite you to do this. We've already had some physical action already this morning. We're going to keep it going in that route. I'm going to invite you to stand together. This verse is all about God's people realizing they're at war, standing in the midst of it. Let's stand together as a church and read through this passage as one. All right, it's on the screen. We're ready to go. I know I read fast. I'll slow down on purpose for you. Let's go. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. You can have a seat. Well done. Give yourself a hand. Way to go, way to go, way to go, way to go. See, I believe there's power in that. And again, that, that, that is an auditory example of this reality that you do not exist as a lone ranger, lone soldier in this battle that we face. We are in this together. We need each other. And so as you know, in the room, you didn't just you know, hear it, but it's also happening online all across the country. This is the thing that the people of God, for those who are watching online, those who are in the room, this is us declaring that the fight that we are fighting is one where we need each other. Every single piece of our body matters. So today we're going to dive into truth. And when we start to talk about truth, man, we've been in this season where we've gone... Truth is really hard to come by in 2020. Like we've been saying that before we got into this. Where we've been going like, I don't, like the, the collective bemoan of society has been, I just don't know what to believe anymore. I just wish I knew what was true. I mean, we would even have like, I'm not talking like the people you would meet at the gas station, things being kind of, you know, I don't know if this is true. But like CDC, governments, like People who are supposed to be in the know would say on Thursday that this thing is true. And then the next Thursday, just kidding, that's not true. We figured some other things out. And again, we've given a lot of grace to this whole corona thing, kind of caught up on us. But here's the deal. We've been in a season where it feels like I don't know what to believe. Anybody else felt like that? Like I just wish somebody would tell me the real truth. On top of that, you add racial tension that hit a fever pitch. And really hasn't died down. It's just been something we've kind of been able to be distracted by. And there's all these different stories and all these different narratives and all these different things that we can believe in that story as well. Of, okay, well, what is true? What's the whole story? What are the facts? On top of that, just to have some good old-fashioned icing on the t- cake, it's an election year. And so, man, I, I don't know anything about this dude, guy named Ossoff. I, I was never angry about this guy named Ossoff. I was never angry about this guy, Purdue. But, man, like both of these guys, I'm like, man, they are terrible. I don't never, I, they're terrible people, according to this ad. These guys are just horrible human beings. And, like, man, I don't know if there's anybody else, but I am so frustrated. I'm just so over everybody seemingly talking about how bad everybody else just happens to be. It's, it's, it's frustrating. And you, you get burned out on it. 
And we find ourselves going like, okay, he can't really be that bad, can he? Like, does he really, you know, punch his mom on Christmas Eve? Like, what? I mean, that, that sounds hard to believe. I, that's crazy. It's just wild. And so I think we got to this place where so much was happening that was hard to believe. That we, and we got to realize where we go and what we do in these things. When you get to a place where you just don't know what to believe, we all have these natural things in us where we all have the things that we know that we want to be true, right? There are things that you want to be true about your kids. There's things you want to be true about me as your pastor in your church. There's things you want to be true about politicians and, and people who are in the media. There are things that we just want to be true. And our propensity when we don't know what is really true is to lean towards what we want to be true, to be what's true. And I found myself asking the question is, how much should I let these things be true to me? These things that I see online. How, how much truth should they have in my own life. And what we're coming up against is this reality that really hasn't been something that's new. I think all the coronavirus, an election year, all the other tensions that we face in our country right now, they have made these things go up to a place where now it's like, I don't know, and it's confusion, and it's chaos, and we kind of feel like we are just lost. But really, this is something that's been going on here for a really long time. See, we live in a post-modern and a post-Christian society. And because of this, there is this thing called subjective truth. Let's learn some things here today, okay? We're, going to, we're not on the helmet of righteousness. We're not learning about our mind. But if we're going to be able to withstand, we've got to understand what's going on here. Subjective truth. Subjective truth is this. It's when you say, and again, this is popular society. You hear it in rap songs. You hear it on TV. You hear it you know, at, at PTO meetings. That's true for you. And this is true for me. What's true for me is true for me, and it doesn't necessarily have to be true for you. As long as your truth doesn't hurt me, that's fine. You, and this is the way it's you know, said from a younger crowd, maybe. You do you. You do you, and I'll do me. And that's the world we live in. On exit number 218, okay, I think it's the McDonough Hampton exit, but on exit 218, I-85 South, there's this giant sign. Giant, giant billboard. 218, uh, if you're coming northbound, you will see it right as you get off the exit. Like if you're going northbound on I-75, it's the Cracker Barrel exit. That's how I determine things. That's like my GPS is, okay, what's the nearest Cracker Barrel? That's kind of how I operate. But it's the Cracker Barrel exit in McDonough. If you're coming on the northbound ramp, you will see a gargantuous, biggest as it can be, billboard. And I guess whoever owns the billboard... Like John Foy or whatever guy who was going to strong arm people. If you've been in an accident, call whatever. I want my money. I want it now. Whatever guy. They weren't paying for a billboard space. And so they just, I guess, decided we're just going to put a positive and encouraging message up there. And the message that they chose, and I want you to go, you can go look at it today. It says, be true to you. Now at first, like, we're not like, oh man, that didn't say like, go punch your grandma. Like, that didn't say kill people on the weekends. That didn't say anything that was like, oh my goodness, why would, no, that's, that's terrible. It just says, be true to you. And it's in bright colors and it almost makes you feel good about yourself. But if you know the gospel, it should kind of make you throw up in your mouth a little bit. Because the message, be true to you, does not work. Here's why it doesn't work. Be true to you doesn't work because there are people who being true to them 
like to molest children. That's what makes them happy. Now, at this point, you guys are like, can you give us some more stories about chipmunks? Like, this is coming in too hot. You're coming in hot. But I need you to wake up and realize these things. Because this is how the devil works. He doesn't work out in the open. He works through crazy billboards with bright letters and colorful schemes because he wants you to believe a lie that is just this far off of what is actually true. See, this concept of, of, of do what's best for you and do what makes you feel happy and everything else. And again, we're, we're within walking distance of a Home Goods, a Marshalls, and a Ross, and probably a TJ Maxx. But I guarantee you can go to every single one of those stores today and you will find on a pillow, decorative pillow, somewhere that says, do what makes you happy. You'll find that. But guys, that is very, very dangerous. It implies that every single person that exists on God's green earth is a good person who has people's best interests at mind and will not hurt anybody. I don't know about you, but I've found that to not be the truth about this world we live in. I found it to be a broken, messed up world where people stab people in the back, where people bust into people's houses and take advantage of them. I, I found it to be a place where, where so many kids can go through high school and experience some really incredibly broken things. I've experienced some pain even in my own life, and I'm just not okay well, that's just having the wool pulled over our eyes. And so today I want to pick a fight with the lies of the enemy. Because if we pull back the curtain of his lies, the message of be true to you, this subjective truth that we can just find and to just do what makes you feel happy, if you pull back the, the curtain on that, Satan loves to get us to believe that lie because he wants you to do this. He wants you to look for what's true about you. From within you. He wants you to take cues from what other people say, how other people feel, what your bank account looks like. He wants you to find what's true about you from within you. Because if you look for what's true about you from within you, the place you won't look for what's true about you is God. And his, again, he does not care if you look for what's true about you, and he's not after you looking for what's true about you or true about life. He doesn't want you to go to him. He doesn't need you to worship him. He doesn't even need you to acknowledge him. All he is after is you not seeking God, not seeking truth from him. And that's his strategy, and that's his goal. And so Paul, he's writing to us in Ephesians. And remember, Paul is in prison. That's why Ephesians is kind of like the, the crown jewel of Paul's epistles. It's his, in, in most people's opinion, Romans and Ephesians, his best work from a theologically rounded out perspective. And he's there in prison, in chains for the gospel. Not in chains because he was a criminal, not in chains because he did something wrong, but in chains for the gospel. And there, in close proximity, he sees day after day a Roman soldier, the world's elite military example. And he looks at him, head to toe. And you would think Paul would start with a helmet, right? He'd just take this guy and break him apart piece by piece, or even maybe start with shoes, you know, whatever. But Paul doesn't. Paul starts at the waist. He starts at the core. And I believe he's doing that because this, this core truth 
is foundational to us being able to withstand and fight. I would say this is, again, if we want to talk about what's the most important piece to put on, I would say, I don't know if there's, you can make an argument for what's most important. Again, when he says, put on the full armor, he's not saying that you get the luxury of picking and choosing which piece is your favorite. And you say, well, yeah, I'm, I, you know, I don't want to wear that piece. Belts aren't cool. I would rather just you know, walk out and rock and roll with a sword. Or I'd just rather have a sword and a shield. Or a shield, I'm not really into shields. I just want to have a sword. Paul says, no, 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 no. If you're going to be it for God, you've got to be head to toe this way. And he starts with truth. He starts with this belt. That's why in 14 he says, stand firm then with the belt of truth around your waist. And I believe when he's talking about this belt, he's trying us to understand Satan's identity and the reality of who he is. Jesus made that really clear in John 8, 44. Again, we've talked about this a couple times in this series, but I want you to understand this. This is the common theme. We're going to drive back into this over and over again. You've got to hear how Jesus talks about your enemy. John 8, 44 says, He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Okay? That's who we have in Satan. And again, his strategy is not to get you to believe in him, but to get you to believe lies. Then you have Jesus. Jesus, in John 14, 6, let us know who he is. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. It's a very exclusive verse. It's very inclusive, but it's also very exclusive. This is not Oprah ideology that all, all roads lead to God. No. This is, there is no way. There is no road. There is no path. The only way to get to Father, the only way to get to where you were created to go, the only way to experience eternal life, the only way to experience the good is through the God who gave his life for you on a cross. So Jesus... He makes very clear, Satan is the father of lies. That's his way of saying he is the originator of lies. Every lie that was ever told from your mouth, from my mouth, from whatever politician's mouth, every one of those lies originated from him. He's a root source. And then he says, I am the way and the truth. Which, to the question of what is truth, Jesus is now explaining to us that truth, truth is not a list of facts. Truth is not provable things by the scientific method. Truth is a person. Write that down. Truth is a person. and His name is Jesus. And so when we talk about this belt of truth, Paul, I think, is hoping we would get the reality of what a belt would have been used for in this Roman soldier. This is my weightlifting belt. Uh, me and this guy have a lot of fun in the garage on leg day. We try not to skip it very often. But I use this not because I, I, I'm really scared, but I use this because I plan on lifting heavy weight. It's what gives me the ability to feel like I have the support that I need to lift something heavy. It's the reason where you see uh, UPS drivers or you see uh, people who work in warehouses. They put these things around their waist because it gives them the support they need to not throw their back out as they lift something that is heavy. 
And a Roman soldier would have been a very similar thing. That they had the, the armor that they wore was extensive, was heavy. They didn't have lightweight titanium stuff to wear. They had a big, giant breastplate. And this belt would go around their waist. And what they would do is this would help the breastplate be able to actually stay up on top of it. So this is what you would put on first. Along with that, the belt is what had your sheath so that you could carry your sword. It also had a place that would hold up the shield. See, the belt was central. And it gave them support that they needed in their core. And it gave them that support so that they could carry what they needed to carry for long periods of time. In regards to our lives, I believe there are some things that we can learn about this belt of truth and how truth, in many ways, does the exact same thing for us in our lives that it would have done for a soldier as he was getting ready to go into battle. If you're taking notes, I believe there are three primary things we're going to lean into them today as far as how the belt of truth helps us be able to withstand and stand against our flesh and the enemy. First thing that the belt of truth gives is it gives us security. Talked about this a little bit already. But this belt of truth, when we fasten it around our waist, it gives us the security to know that we can handle the burden of what is going on around us. And see, if you don't know the truth, you don't know what the reality is, then you are going to crumble under what comes against you. It reminds me of the temptation of Jesus. So Jesus comes onto the scene, does his first miracle, shows up to his cousin John the Baptist. John the Baptist baptizes Jesus, which is like mind-boggling in itself. Baptizes Jesus, then immediately Jesus is shot out. The Holy Spirit leads Jesus out into the wilderness. 40 days, 40 nights, and while he's out in the wilderness, he gets tempted by Satan. While he's out there, Satan shows up, and he knows he's hungry. He knows he's thirsty. He says, hey, Jesus, why don't you turn these stones into bread? And Jesus, in this moment where he is incredibly vulnerable, he, he is weak, he uses this security that can be found in God's word that he had in his mind and hidden in his heart. And in this moment, he uses the truth of God's word to combat this enemy. And he says, it is written, man should not live off of bread alone, but the very word of God. And so he resists that temptation. And he uses God's truth through his word as the ammunition to shoot down the enemy's temptation. Now, Satan, again, incredibly crafty. Like Martha Stewart times 10 level craftiness. Super crafty. He says, ah, I see you, Jesus. I see your use of the Bible. I know the Bible as well, which some of you, maybe that's the first time you realize that. Satan knows scripture. He knows what to use. He uses his scripture. And he says in John 8, 44, or sorry, not John 8, 44, Matthew 4, 5, and 6. Matthew 4, 5, and 6 says the devil took him up to a holy city. So he's trying to set it up. And he's going to use the scripture. It's part of the setup. Took him up to the holy city, that was Jerusalem, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. So they're up, everybody's around. Now again, this is the highest point of the city. What are in cities? People, okay? So everybody's there, everybody can see. And he says, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. This is where he uses scripture. For it is written, he will command the angels concerning you, and he will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Now, a lot of times we hear this temptation of Jesus, and we're like, well, what in the world is Satan after here? Here's what's going on. Satan knows what Jesus' purpose is. 
And he knows what your purpose is. Part of Satan's tactic and strategy in Jesus' life and in your life is to get you to take shortcuts to get to the purpose that is out there. That God wants to take you what, in your opinion, in my opinion, is going to feel like the long route. And we're going, I mean, we've all had those seasons in life. where We're like, God, can you just get me out of this? I thought this season would have been done by now. And so Satan shows up. And he says, listen, Jesus, you know that if this mission is ever going to really get off the ground, people have got to know that you are holy. People have got to know that you are God's son. And what better way for us to take you right to the edge of the high temple and you just jump off. And again, the Bible says, the Bible is truth. There's a verse in there in the word of truth. You know the word of truth, Jesus, that if you jump down, he won't let a single hair on your head be harmed. Your feet won't touch the ground. He'll send angels, get you down, swoop you up. You'll land, and as soon as that happens, Jesus, boom, you've got a million-plus followers on Instagram. You've got a whole platform. Everybody is going to know your name by the end of the day, Jesus. And that's what he throws out. Now, again, is this Bible verse that Satan uses, is it a lie or is it truth? It's true. Listen to how Jesus responds. We all know that he quotes Scripture against Satan's Scripture. But how he introduces the Scripture is what we oftentimes miss and what I found this week, and it blew my mind because I love what he says here. Jesus answered him. These four words are powerful. In verse 7, It is also written... It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. See, oftentimes we find ourselves facing this battle. And many times in life we think the battle is just against the lies and the truth. But what I'm here to tell you today is not just against a battle. And maybe this freaks you out and makes you more nervous. We are not facing a battle just against lies versus truth. We are also facing a battle against truth versus truth. We find ourselves in a battle between two truths. I don't think I can do the best job of explaining all of what that means without using Scripture. Paul it did a way better job than I ever could. If you've got a Bible, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 and 9. There's a battle between two truths. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 and 9. Listen to Paul put on display this battle between two things that are actually true. He says, but we have treasures in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Now listen in, verses 8 and 9, this is where he gets into this. We are hard-pressed on every side, okay? Hard-pressed on every side. Yes, bingo, that's true. We got people, there's pressure all around us. You felt pressure, I felt pressure. We have felt this pressure. Paul says, we are feeling this pressure, and it is true. But then he says, we are not crushed. He said, we are perplexed. We're so confused about what's going on. We don't understand some things. This world seems so much full of tension. It seems so crazy. We don't really know what God is doing, but we know he's doing something. So we're just trying to follow after him. We're perplexed. But then he says, we are not in despair. Our hope is up because we know our hope is in him. He says, we're persecuted. We got people coming against us. We got snakes jumping out of fires and biting on us. People are trying to kill us. We're getting wrecked by ships. All sorts of crazy stuff is going on. We are persecuted. But we are not abandoned. We know that God, the same God who is the fourth man in the fire, that same very God is with us no matter what we face. We are not abandoned. We are struck down, he says, but we are not destroyed. He is saying there is a truth in what I'm experiencing, but there is a truth in who God is. And so you and me, we find ourselves in this battle between these two truths. And this is what they are. They're the truth of our situation and the truth of the revelation. This is what you're finding yourself in between. The truth of the situation. 
that, man, the debt is piling up. And I know by number and by percentage what the debt is. But the revelation is that God is a loving and generous God and, and will provide. The truth that says, yes, the cancer is back. The prognosis is bad. But that says, my old body is fading away in the life that I now live. I live for Christ. And while I may be here, this body is wasting away, but inwardly I am being renewed. It's the part that says, yes, I, I am lonely. No doubt, I'm lonely. But heaven forbid and hell forbid that I believe that I am alone. Because Christ is not just with me. Christ is in me. Yeah, I'm poor. We're not eating steak every night. Sometimes it's hard to make ends meet. But in Christ, we are rich. My kids know I love them. We hug them before we go to bed. We don't have to go to Disney World to have a good time. See, there is this battle between two truths. And what Satan wants to do is to overemphasize the weight of the situation. So that you completely forget about God's revelation. He wants you to see and get overly consumed so much around that teenager who is starting a little bit of rebellion. A little bit of lie. A little bit of sneaking out. And he wants you to come down so hard. And make everything about rules. Make everything about what they did wrong. He wants you to lose your fuse, to blow your temper, to say things that you should have never said that you'll regret for years that you said to that kid so that it drives them further out and that you miss out on the revelation that this is a phase. And there's a story about this, this father who loved a kid, loved a kid enough to say, I'm going to let you try it your way. I'm going to let you try it your way. Because I trust that there's something stronger than rules. There's this thing called a relationship. I'm going to let my emphasis be there. See, Satan wants you to see those things. And again, he, he's not just going to go to war with you with lies. He's going to go to war at getting overly consumed with what your eyes see so that you miss out and you forget about the unseen things that God is doing and will do in the future and when that happens that robs us of the stability that God's truth should give us to be able to stand firm and to say yes the child may be a prodigal but I believe that we have a God who calls prodigals home yes well I don't know I don't know what's going to happen I don't know how the bills are going to be paid but my God is Jehovah Jireh and he provides yes I don't know how this cancer is going to get well but my God restores and renews and even if I die I am promised a new body in heaven yes we don't know how we're going to have a child we have no idea the doctors all say it doesn't work but over and over again I see in here how God takes what is barren and brings birth I don't know about the situation I didn't know about this God who's been revealed to me in his word of truth. See, Satan's going to want you to go over and aboard with the situation that you see at hand. And if you're going to go war, and if you're going to be able to stand against him trying to put the situation on replay in your mind so much 
If you forget how to look to the future, look at what God's doing, even in the moment, you're going to miss it. The next thing the belt of truth gives us is liberty. Not liberty as in the statue in New York, but liberty as in freedom. See, what a Roman soldier would do is they would fasten this, this belt around them, and oftentimes they had more of a flowing robe that would probably drop down a little bit below their knee. In the King James and some of the other translations, it actually says here, gird your loins with the belt of truth. Now, again, that's not language that we talk about. None of you with teenage sons, we know they're getting ready to go out on a date on Thursday night. You're not going to say, gird your loins, son. They're going to look at you and be like, what? Like, What? What are you talking about, Mom? You're crazy. Um, you just hope he doesn't say it while the buddies are in the room. Gird your loins. I don't talk about it like that. But in Paul's day and age, they would have known exactly what this was talking about. This is, this is what people wore. And so if you were getting ready to go somewhere fast, if you were a soldier and you were getting ready to gird your loins, that meant that you, like, you would let it down at night maybe to go to sleep. But if you were being told to gird your loins, what they were literally doing is they would take that robe and they would roll it up and tuck it in so that they had the freedom and the mobility to be able to fight how they needed to fight. And in the same way, through God's word, when we know the truth of God's word, it gives us that liberty. You've heard this verse before, John 8, 31 and 32. Jesus is talking. He said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. Let's say it together. And the truth will set you free. Again, when he says you will know the truth, he's not saying you'll know facts about me. He's not saying you'll understand concepts about me. You'll have good theology about me. You'll be really good at going to Sunday school classes or logging in online to hear things about me. He says, when you know the truth, you will know me. I am the truth. Truth is not a fact. Truth is a person, and that is who Jesus is. So when we think about truth and we think about liberty, I need you to understand the opposite side of that coin as far as lies are concerned. I wrote it down like this in a way that I, I could remember, and I hope you can too. The truth actually equals freedom. It leads to freedom. Truth is what paves the way for us to actually have freedom in our lives. But lies equal bondage. Lies will always lead to bondage. Lies will always lead to, you know what, more lies. That's the bad thing about lies. As soon as you tell one, you have to tell five more to cover up that one and to make sure that one is squared away. That's a lie. And will lead you to being bound and bound in. Now, that's counterculture to the way our world works, right? We say, oh, no, no, there can be no truth. That's, that's exclusive. And you're, now you're limiting my freedoms by giving me these rules and regulations and things in God's word to be able to live by. I don't want to do that. That's no fun. I want a life that can do whatever I want. I want to do what's true to you. I want to stay true to myself. And some of you have been around those kids, right? Those kids, I mean, you watch it. The kids who grow up in the homes where there are no rules. Where you just self-actualize yourself into great behavior. Those are some of the most frustrating children to be around. And those are also, and I'm, I'm saying this because I was a youth pastor for, for years and I, and I pastored these children. They are some of the most insecure children out there. Because here's the deal. Nobody gave them boundaries to stay within. And so they ping pong back and forth from all the different things and they never really found out who they were. See, the thing about truth, 
And the things about living in truth is it gives you the freedom to actually be who God created you to be, not to ping pong back and forth between who a world says you should be. And so this, this belt of truth, Paul is saying, if you want to experience freedom, strap this on. Live according to this word that God has given us. It's not restrictive. In the essence that it restricts the good things that you could do. It restricts you to be able to live life in the destiny that you are truly supposed to have. You may think it's painful to be able to not do some things that you may want to do. But think about it from this perspective. Last week we talked about Jackson Lake. If I went to Jackson Lake and I caught a fish and I brought the fish out of the water and I sat it on the water, I said, fish, you are liberated. You are free to live on land. Through its flopping and its mouth just kind of doing that really sad. (laughs) It is going to be saying to me, I wish you would not have liberated me. I was not destined to live in this environment. Please put me back in the place where God set me up to be contained and live. He does the same thing for us. There's a set of boundaries. There's a set of things that we are supposed to live in to truly experience the freedom and the life that God died on a cross to give you. The last thing I believe the belt of truth gives us is clarity. Clarity. Clear eyes. When you listen to people talk about war, oftentimes one of the things that you hear when they talk about war is this, this thing called the fog of war. There's a, 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 a movie made about the fog of war. Uh, it was kind of recounting the life of Robert McNamara, who's a Secretary of Defense for the United States, and defining this idea of a fog of war. This is what he said. I don't know any military commander who is honest who would say that he has not made a mistake. There's a wonderful phrase, the fog of war. What the fog of war means is war is so complex and beyond the ability of the human mind to comprehend all the variables. Our judgment, our understanding are not adequate. I'm here to tell you today, we... If we are not found in God's word, if we are not found in prayer with him, you, all, you and I, all of us, we are susceptible to be caught up in the fog of the war. And I believe some of what we have experienced from February to October of 2020 has been the fog of war. And I don't know about you, but I have definitely been in a place where I have said I am inadequate to make the right decisions. And I've definitely made decisions that were mistakes and failures here and at home. Because here's the deal. You are inadequate to make the decisions that you really truly need to make in this season. That's why I leaned into what we did last week. In Romans 8, 6, Paul said, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. If you're asking yourself, what's the next step to take? Where do I go from here? This is where we lean into. You don't need a horoscope to tell you your future. That's what God's word is for. You don't, need, you, know, you don't need these other things that are out there to tell you what your future should look like, what you should be going into. God's word gives us the truth, then shows us what to do. That's why I love what the book of Proverbs says, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Again, you may find this on a coffee cup at Home Goods, but it's a good one. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. I tried to lean on mine before. And there's not a weightlifting belt in the world that could have held me up when I tried to lean on my own understanding. He says, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. 
In Psalm 119, 105, he says, Your word, Jesus, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. He says, if you put the truth, who Jesus is, if you want to stand against what the enemy is bringing, stand against the lies, you want the lies to fade away, you've got to understand who Jesus is calling you to be. And you understand the steps that you need to take. Some of you today, you're hearing me talk about this, and you've been walking in darkness. You've been caught up in the fog of war. And through your darkness, you've been stumbling in to painful thing after painful thing. Or you've just completely shut down. And today, my prayer for you is that the gospel would bring to light this reality that there is a step to take. And there is a truth that dispels the lies that have allowed you to stay in the dark for as long as you have. And my hope today is you would quit believing the lies about yourself, that you would stop believing the lies that God doesn't love you, that God can't take care of you, that he's not real, that this is just some cosmic experiment that you're just going to live and turn into dirt in a tree one day. That's not true. God loves you. He gave his son for you. And some of you today, your next step is taking a step in faith towards him. If that's you, I'm going to invite you to fill out that form or to come talk to me down here in person after the service because here's the deal. You have a step to take. If you ignore that truth, if you ignore that step, you're going to stay in the dark and you're going to stay believing the lie. But there's more things that are true about you than you ever could have imagined and you are on the cusp of being brought in on who you truly are in Christ and who he truly is to you. And my prayer today is that you would find that because there's a God who's coming after you. We're going to go into a time of communion. One of the verses that we oftentimes use in communion is 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. 26. It says this, For if we eat of this bread and drink of the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And you can read that verse and you go, okay, I'm going to eat of this bread and, and drink of this cup and I proclaim the Lord's death until he comes but who am I proclaiming it to? Oftentimes when we read that we think okay well I'm just telling myself Jesus died for me and he's coming again I'll just keep remembering that until he comes again maybe that'll give me some hope but listen friend when we proclaim and take communion. We are proclaiming Jesus' death and resurrection until he comes again. But you're not just proclaiming it to yourself. You're not just proclaiming it to a room full of people. You're proclaiming it to Satan himself. This is where we say, hey, I know that you have tried to get me to believe the lie that I am not enough. I've tr- I know that you've tried to get me to believe the lie that I am destined to just stay in depression. But I am proclaiming to you that Jesus' power has overcome you, that these lies aren't going to win, that these lies aren't what's true about me. And I'm proclaiming that Jesus' death has victory over not just what you're telling me, but what you want from me. And guys, when you take communion, I want you to think about it today like this. You've seen the movies on TV the Black Hawk Downs, the, the Jack Ryan series, the Saving Private Ryan, whatever they may be. And you know those moments where they're in the barracks and they're getting ready to go to war. And you could have no words in the movie, but just based off of what you're hearing, you know battle is getting ready to go down. 
You hear Velcro being strapped on. You hear boots being laced up. You hear uh, rounds being put into firearms. You hear uh, bullets being put in chambers and then them being clicked in and put on. And today, as you get ready to take communion, I pray today you hear these sounds of these wrappers coming off as battle sounds. Sounds of God's people going to war, proclaiming to darkness that your lies have no place in my life anymore. I pray that you go to war through communion with him today. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for these sounds of victory, for these sounds that the promise has been made true and you are keeping that promise to us and as we take of this broken body and this poured out blood we remember that there will come a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord that you are God and we thank you Jesus that we can be on the right side of truth. Side of your love. Side of your grace. Jesus, for those who don't know that, God, I pray that they don't go another hour, another moment without knowing you, without knowing for sure that their eternal destination is secure in you. I pray that they take a step out of the darkness and into the clarity and truth and light that you're giving them today. Jesus, wake them up. Be with us now. In your name.